0: Thanks for listening to the NMWR podcast. This is episode four and today is June 5th. So at least some people recognize June 5th is World Environment Day. And when we were figuring out what to do, uh, Ban and I thought that it might be a pertinent subject to kind of discuss and get into from the context of our relationship with the environment that we live in. And the I think context in which we are doing this podcast or we've started this podcast uh, brings into question a lot of uh, sort of massive questions about us as humans, our interaction with our environment, whether it's in an urban setting, rural setting, etc., etc. So, Ban, uh, firstly, what is the idea of environment, uh, world environment day today? What, what is the theme that they're sort of pushing this year? And and what do you make
1: of it? Well, the theme uh, that they have sort of decided uh, for this year, it's, it's uh, celebrate biodiversity. Uh, but man, I really think there's nothing to uh, really celebrate, uh, especially with the riots and COVID and so much shit going on, uh, going on with cruelty against animals. Uh, the whole Kerala elephant episode and anyways with like sort of uh, more than 1 million species facing extinction I I mean celebration is we are way uh, sort of uh, away from really celebrating but at the same time it's also an important time to discuss biodiversity for sure.
0: Yeah man it is actually a good time because for now two and a half months three months maybe even longer for some people because uh, it is half the year is almost done. All we've been really focusing on is this virus, right? And and what it's doing on a daily basis. And uh, some we we were talking somewhere that like so much focus on death and people people that are dying because that's what we are looking for. Up super how infected? how died? And uh, at the same time, we are all sitting at home, so industries are shut. Uh, There are far fewer vehicles on the road. So the human impact of the lockdown has been massive and felt by the poorest in this country. But there has also been an ecological impact. So that's some of the stuff we're talking about, right? Today, just kind of understanding what the two sides of this dynamic are because like the Kerala thing that you were mentioning, there was one side that said, like you know, these guys should be punished in the harshest way who have done this and stuff. I mean, it's it's a horrific story, and it, all of us are united by like how bad we felt when we heard about uh, that elephant, right? But the circumstances of it and how we react to it is also very important because because that that brings into focus what our understanding of the environment is. It's all very well for us to sit in Delhi and, and comment on how the supposed perpetrators of a crime in the middle of a jungle, and you know, in fact, it's Silent Valley, like Rahul Ram was actually talking about the Silent Valley in in, in the episode that we did with him and how that's where his kind of uh, indo- uh, induction into activism and environmentalism began. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, sorry, sorry, I have gone on for a while. Uh, might as well hand over to you, Mr. Banji, to introduce our guest for the day and let's get on with the meat of this podcast.
1: So, uh, I think before, before we introduce our guest, uh, now it's like, uh, like I'm also feeling really depressed with all of this. So maybe we should uh, just straight away go into a song by our guest and then we can do the introductions. So this is uh, Sounds of Schwanheim by Ashimberi.
0: So, after all that uh, chit-chat and rambling that uh, Ban and I have done, we're getting now to the fun part of the show, which is uh, where we bring in uh, an indie independent artist. uh, And today we have uh, Ashim Berry joining us on the podcast. Ashim, thanks for being here, man. Uh, Ashim is a a musician, percussionist, um, uh, conservationist, and working on environment education with school children uh, with an organization called Swecha. Uh, Ashim, tell us a bit about your work, man, to begin with and how sort of music fits in with uh, the rest of what you do.
2: Yeah, so uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, really excited to share some of my work and also what we've been doing in the last few years with music and environment. Um, yeah, so I, I, with music, I have a, a it's a much longer connection in the sense that I, I started uh, around 20 years back is when I started playing the tabla for the first time, and that's that's my primary instrument in terms of being a percussionist. And uh, last five or six years, I've also been playing this instrument called a handpan, which is uh, melodic and percussive. So we, it, there's a handpan, and there's also these steel tongue drums that I play. Uh, and I run a project of my own with that, which is largely instrumental in itself. But I also do a lot of collaborations with different artists uh, from different backgrounds, so theater artists, uh, dancers and other musicians as well. So that's that's more of the music side of things. But uh, I also, like you said, work with an organization called Swecha, which is largely into environment and sustainability. Uh, also a lot of work with youth and, and young, young uh, kids. So largely with students is, is the kind of work that that, uh, that I do. That's my main focus area. So every, uh, every year we work with about a lakh students on different themes of environment. And uh, I've, I'm largely at about three or four schools almost every day. Doing workshops or doing different action projects in the school uh, with these students, and so in the last couple of years, I've been actually trying to fuse these two things together. So bringing music into into my main uh, nine to six job that I have of working with school students on issues of environment. So there's this really interesting thing that I've that I've started doing in the last. Uh, it's been about a year and a half since we started doing this. So a friend of mine. And I have have started organizing these sessions that we do. We try to do it every fortnight uh, or at least once a month, um, which is basically this it's this Japanese technique called forest bathing, which looks at um, bringing people closer to nature, connecting them with forests, bringing them back into the forest, and also having a very immersive experience where you you move away from from your daily routine and you sort of connect directly with nature and you understand it a little better. Uh, so we've been doing these for the last uh, about a year and a half now, and we've uh, w- the, in the last couple of sessions that we've been doing, we also tried to introduce the idea of my music into it. So I, I conduct listening sessions within the forest itself. So you're uh, using sounds of, of of nature, whether it's sound of birds or sound of the leaves, or it's the sound of the wind, along with uh, with the instrument sound as well. So we do different kinds of listening sessions within the forest, and this is open to to anyone and everyone really. And I try to do this within the school programs as well. So I'm, I'm looking at different ways in which I can inculcate sustainability and environment into into the work that I do with music. And this is a starting point uh, for me.
0: So yeah. when you say that you you are, of course, uh, these days we don't have the opportunity to go out into the forest and, and all of that mm-hmm. uh, experience, any of that, so we're sitting at home and engaging with like ecology and the environment in a different way. But if you yeah. could just maybe, uh, Bring in some of that music right now, play a bit for us just to give uh, the people listening an idea of the kind of sound that you try to create or the kind of listening environment that you try to create when you are out sure, on these sure. sessions. Uh, and then we can uh, probably, Barn will jump in and take it from there.
2: Yeah, sure. This is an instrument uh, called a steel tongue drum. It's actually it's it's about I think it was originated around 2007 is is when it came into existence, and it's part of the larger network of of the the entire uh, network of handpan instruments that are there. So it's also melodic and percussive, and this is one of the instruments that I actually use when uh, when I conduct these sessions at different compositions that I have written that are either inspired from different stories um, that have been part of my journey so far. So not necessarily only environment specific, but some of these compositions are also connected to experiences in the forest or experiences in and around nature. So when I whenever I do these sessions, I basically get people to sort of close their eyes, first focus on their breathing and focus on sounds around them. And then... Um, Sort of make them the conductors of the entire experience. So whenever they want me to increase the volume, I I tell them to sort of raise their hands so that I know that the that they want to hear a particular note of, on the instrument itself. And whenever they want it to go down, then focus on other sounds around. And I then I reduce the sound. So I'm just going to quickly introduce you guys to the sound. It's actually an E major this instrument, and uh, it's got a very beautiful melodic and percussive vibe to it. So I hope you guys like listening it.
1: The thing that I'm intrigued about is, so you started learning tabla and then you chose to play the hangpan. So it's interesting how how you, you're, you're bringing in that knowledge. Hmm. There's, there's this really interesting musician uh, called Bernie. I don't know if you've uh-huh. heard of him. So he used to, no, he used to, used to record, he used to play, uh, play with the <coughs> Beach Boys and a bunch of these really big musicians. And then he got mm. really disillusioned by the whole music business. And, and he sort of uh, left the whole uh, American, like the LA sort of music business. And he went into the forests and he started recording sounds there. Yeah, and yeah. then he started, started sort of composing things around that. But uh, if you check out, uh, like a very interesting thing that he said was, while he was recording in, in mm. forests and in all these uh, open areas, while he was recording, he could hear... He could hear the, the the sort of symphony, the orchestration of of the live uh, live birds and the live animals. Exactly. How, yeah. Like how they had figured out this this sort of frequency range, like mm. to, like so that their their call sits on on top of everything else that's happening in mm. the forest, uh-huh. and it's it's millions of years of evolution. Imagine. Yeah. It's really interesting how how sort of musicians are using music, and and his work also. He then started working with scientists, and you know he started like using music, using his knowledge of music to to work on sustainability and ecology. And they really work. Yeah. Like he he in fact moved to a forest area to live, like you know he left the city life and that kind of stuff. So. Uh-huh. Uh, would you would you like Would you relate to, like the power of music and the power of like your work in sustainability and uh, like ecology and especially with kids, mm. like how how do you think uh, this particular like the hangpan or the instrument you play, how do you think it can it sort of uh, marries into the work and then like it can take that work to the next level.
2: Mm. So I mean, uh, what I've seen and observed through even the sessions that we do, or, or you know, whenever I've actually tried to bring in my instrument, not necessarily in a in a forest bathing session or even in the forest. Sometimes I bring it into the classroom in itself. It uh, as an instrument, it, just as a medium, what it what it what it's able to do is actually open up the senses a lot, especially with kids. If you like for, specifically if we're in the forest, for example, when we're doing an activity like that, you're able to actually see them after the session gets over, they're, they're automatically a lot more relaxed. Obviously, they're a lot more calmer, but they're also able to pay attention to a lot of different sounds that they otherwise may not be able to hear. So calling of birds is something which you which is part of your daily life in any case, but you never really pay attention to it in any case. Or, you know, any sound, whether it's even even if the wind is blowing or if it's rustling of leaves that you hear or whatever it is, you're never really focusing on those particular things, but to spend uh, half an hour, 40 minutes, um, away from it all away from your daily life and your, and the chaos that you have within it and to sort of experience all these different things together. It, it, when they leave, they actually, uh, go back with a much as in most of their senses are actually opened up a lot more. So that's basically the main idea of doing it is to sort of open up the hearing sense a lot to different sounds. That are that are familiar sounds, but they have sort of been lost in in uh, the entire in their entire life. They don't pay attention to it at all. Um, so it has, to a certain extent, in in terms of impact, I would say that it is slowly building up. A lot of kids, I don't know how the music is really fitting in as yet completely, but with work, definitely um, there has been. I mean, with these sessions or with any of these sessions that we do, I've seen uh, a lot of these kids actually come out and you know. Uh, they, they started caring a lot more they started actually uh, understanding the importance of it and why so we do it with as young as fourth graders fifth graders uh actually, you know start the attention from a very young age itself so that is picking up definitely um, there is there is that sense of urgency in kids to actually look into it so it's happening but it's happening at a very very slow pace so i'm a, I, i'm a little confused as to where i'm going with it as now i don't have a clear plan as to why I'm doing it, what the sole purpose is right now. But I like what's happening with it. Like I like, I like how it's flowing right now organically. Uh, So yeah, I mean, the other thing that we do is, so one is of course where I bring the instrument in, but other than that, there's another thing where I make them actually uh, create their own instruments in the forest itself. So they can actually pick up uh, different things of their own. So it could be two sticks, it could be twigs, it could be leaves, whatever it is. And then you just, you focus your uh, listening towards any particular sound and you try and create a rhythm out of that itself. So if you have two stones in your hand, you actually use those two stones to to create a rhythm. And then you can pick up on sounds that another partner of yours in some other corner is actually using. So it, it creates a composition in itself. You're extensively trying to build on something together. So using natural things as well with the kids is something that's really worked. Because in these two activities, we spend at least 40 to 50 minutes on each of them so that you know they're basically the main part of the entire walk other than, of course, the... The educational part of the entire walk, uh, this becomes more of the experiential uh, element of the entire thing, which is, which is which really helps out.
0: So, in terms of this, these education programs that you're doing, uh, hmm. Arshen, can you tell us a bit more about the kind of kids that you are interacting with, and is it across government uh, and private schools, huh. and what are the sort of uh, different issues? Because obviously, if you look at uh, young school students in government schools even if it's in uh, a relatively richer part of the country like delhi even yeah. then the the issues or the concerns or the even the relationship with the environment that they might have uh, mm-hmm. would be different from kids who are let's say going to some of the other schools like the Abbasan valleys or yeah. uh british school or these kind of schools exactly so, yeah. uh, so just tell us a bit more about that kind of uh, s- in like basically what are the the core issues of like urban mm-hmm. environment related issues that young people today across various spectrums that you're dealing with mm-hmm. what are some of those concerns and, and how and how how is the sort of reception to like teaching or talking mm-hmm. about environment and ecology as part of school curriculum as well
2: yeah so I'll I'll take the first half of the question first which basically we work across um, all schools so both private and government schools is what we look at and and so with private also you have high income private school like a vasant valley or a british school and then you have a low income medium income uh, middle income private school that we're talking about so there's so we work with all kinds of private schools and all all government schools as well so on an average we try to target around 100 schools each year which means you're working directly with almost lack students so if averaging about 1000 students per school we're trying to target each grade uh, and we focus on different themes depend so this one is with private schools usually how it works is that they uh, come to us with a particular theme and they say that grade seven is say studying about water or grade eight is studying about land so we want you to do a, a, a particular module on that but we focus on all themes together so when we're looking at the, the main idea is that we can't look at uh, water pollution in isolation in itself. But the idea is to look at environment in general. So when you're talking about say River Yamuna, which is one of our focus areas, um, we take students on a Yamuna walk to actually make them understand where your water comes from. Because 70% of the water that you're drinking is actually coming from this water source, but nobody knows. I mean, they know that it's a polluted river. It looks like a drain, but they haven't come face to face with that. So most of the program is experiential. They actually go on walks with us. They understand a journey of a river in the city, a journey of a, where your waste ends up. So where does your chips packet go? So they actually go on landfill walks, excursions with us. Um, say, if you're looking at forests within Delhi, like a Sanjayvan or an or Arabli Biodiversity Park, to actually go and walk through this forest, because most of them are not even aware of the fact that we have these many acres of forest land that exists. So a large part of the work that we do is experiential, where they actually come in direct contact with nature so that they are actually able to then... Uh, understand these issues real time and then look at um, you know bringing about that change at a local or community level basically the the work is largely experiential followed up with then the action projects that we're talking about so whether it's a campaign in a school or it's an audit that the students are doing in their school or it's um, you know looking at creating a forest within your school backyard so there are different projects based on the school's need again and depends on what theme that they're studying so we cover all the different themes together and then we focus on an action project that that the school requires. So if it means you know you want to create a vertical garden in the school, we can do that. You want to do an audit on on water, we can do that. You want to do a, a survey in your school to understand how much wastage is there in the school, we can do that. What is your energy consumption like? So different themes that we try and cover depending on the need of the school. Uh, with government schools, it's a little different because their infrastructure is, is not there in, in the sense that they don't have... Um, proper infrastructure with, with regard to green uh, infrastructure. So when you're looking at either a forest that you're creating or a butterfly garden or a herb garden, these are things that are not, that are that are of huge interest to these schools but don't exist in the schools and they don't have the resources uh, to actually do that. So we look at largely focusing most of our green infrastructure projects in government schools itself. So we worked last year, for example, we did about uh, I think about 60 different butterfly gardens that we created across different schools and these are gardens that are also made out of waste material. So we we use tires, we use uh, crates, we use gum boots, we use kettles, different kinds of things to actually plant in to create a, a sort of sustainable garden that's built completely out of waste material as well. So, largely, these are the different things that we work on. And there is a huge... Um, I mean, I would say that the interest in the last five years has definitely increased in terms of bringing environment into core curriculum. What Another mm-hmm. part of what we do is that we also work largely with a lot of, lot of educators through the program itself. So, the idea is because we... You know, we come to a school once a week or twice a week to to engage on certain interventions. But educators are in the school every day, so to yeah. sort of make sure that the practice stays on and make sure that it's more sustainable, the entire program. The idea is to actually educate the educators first. So we do these training programs with them as well, and that's that's the second part of of uh, of intervention that we have in all these different programs.
0: Cool, man. so since you were talking about like uh, uh, the river and and I think uh, one of the sort of uh, ideas that Swecha or uh, for Yamuna has gone with for a long time has been that if you give the river the chance to uh, sort of revive itself, to reinvigorate itself, to flow, um, that allows for a lot of these issues, a lot of the pollution related issues to also naturally sort itself out through biological processes, through Exactly, yeah. Uh, all, all of these things. and So, uh, we're, we're saying that, of course, a lot of it is created by uh, human intervention. Uh, the pollution in the river is largely from industrial waste that goes into the river untreated, yeah. unchecked. Uh, and similarly, like a lot of sewage as well goes in untreated uh, from the major drains in Delhi, for example. Uh, in this period now where we are, where industry is quite shut down or uh, uh, operating on a much lower scale. We've seen yeah. and we've seen pictures of some of this revival or uh, yeah. renaissance, or whatever you want to call it, of the river and of the, uh, of the environment around us. Uh, maybe you could play something that firstly, like, uh, get some of that flow going uh, yeah. for those of us who are listening and then we can chat a bit more about some of those ideas.
2: Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll actually play uh, this composition that I wrote, uh, which was uh, I mean it's, it's it's sort of a work in progress still, but um, it's basically about. Uh, yeah, I wrote it when we, we we take students on this on this 12-day journey across uh, from Yamunotri to Vrindavan, which covers 12 days of the river. So I wrote it while traveling with a group of students a couple of years back. So it's uh, sort of a work in progress, but I'll I'll play that just to since we're talking about the river, it's it's it sort of fits in well.
1: So uh, I have this. Uh, I've always wondered, like, uh, so I've been I've been watching your live performances, and also I've heard a bunch of stuff that you've done online. Like, mm-hmm. do, you, do you write write your music? Like, how, how is it that you remember? Or you like when you're composing, you make notes that this is how the movement is going to be.
2: Um, yeah so i don't i don't write it at all in the sense that so uh, for example each composition when it starts basically from an inspiration or some sort of story some sort of it has some sort of inspiration or some sort of back back story to it uh and then basically when i get down to actually doing the my main source of uh, of reference is always a recording of the first uh, time i actually uh, drafted it out so it's almost like a draft in itself when it's first written and then I just keep listening to it and keep trying to make changes to it. And then it's sort of this, it's, it's, it sticks around in the brain. And that's how it doesn't, it's not formally written down as such. Sometimes it changes when it's done live. It could be longer. Yeah. It could be shorter. It's not fully structured. Um, but yeah, there are certain points that, that I have in terms of a reference for each composition. Yeah, And
0: that's you it. find like some of this that you were saying, you, this is a this hmm. composition that you did on one of these yatras, uh, Mm. And do you find that it's stuff that you tend to kind of then on subsequent trips with different batches of kids, mm. you try and recreate in some way and, and, and does it change depending on like how the weather is on that particular um, trip versus how it might have been when you first recorded it? Like how much of uh, the immediate environment that you're doing the music in, uh, mm. how much of, how much of an impact does that have on whatever you're it is that you're composing or playing
2: at that moment. Yeah, I mean, it, it, are you, in terms of you're saying if I'm doing it live or, or in terms of actually working on the same composition at different times?
0: No, I'm just I'm just wondering how, like, how it works in either case. Like for example, is when you're out on this trip from Yamnotri to Vrindavan hmm. for 10 days or uh, 12 days, I'm sure there are times in the evening or whenever when you're sitting around with the kids having a chat. Yeah. Uh, playing some music. So, it might be a composition that you started, let's say, five years ago, or you know, mm, first mm. or came then, and then it, it's also sort of a work in progress that keeps evolving and changing as... Yeah, yeah. Right, change. So yeah, does it, does, yeah
2: it does. Uh, it does change. In fact, the environment does play a big role in terms of, uh, you know, for, like, for example, sometimes if I feel like uh, I want to bring the audience involved into the entire thing as well, uh, so I get, uh, you know, some 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 members of the audience could actually make sounds of rain in the middle of a composition or during a composition. Uh, sometimes I get them to actually do body percussion along with different things. So just to modify the existing composition itself, but and sometimes the length of the composition increases depending on how I'm feeling it. So I might make some changes in the middle. But the overall structure is, stays the same in the sense that I know when I have to take my pauses, I know when I have to change the scale around... Uh, change the notations around, that all is there, but uh, the length of the composition can, can vary again depending on the environment that I'm in and uh, how I'm feeling. So that's got a lot to do with emotions as well, while playing. Yeah,
1: that's that's really interesting because uh, I think you played this at that WIP show as well. This, this. Yeah, 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 we did the,
2: we did the rain one because rain. I got you guys yeah, to… Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. 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 yeah, I think… I think so, would you want to talk more so, about? Uh, Ban one. I want to just
0: ask you quickly, man. What while you were listening to uh, Ashim play this bit about uh, the Yamuna? Yeah. Uh, or oh, inspired by the Yamuna. What, what was the imagery that was playing out in your head while you, while you were sitting and listening to it?
1: Yeah. So basically, uh, like I was, I was actually imagining sort of uh, this, this, uh, this. Free-flowing river and rain and like lush green forests around it. So it was mm. sort of uh, there were these notes that that kind of uh, that took me to a to this kind of a space where where there's this river flowing like like it's a it's a
2: downstream sort of a space. It's a hilly hilly area. It was when I when I first wrote it. Uh, I was playing with another so one of the teachers from Vasant Valley was a friend of mine. He, he had actually got his guitar along as well. So we, we on the seventh day, we actually take students to this place called Radi Top, which is basically on the top of, of this hill where we get them to actually write a letter to either to themselves or to a friend or to their parents or any loved one. Basically just talking about their last journey over the last seven days, how it's been, you know, away from away from family, away from digital media, away from your phones and other communication. Uh, just how has it been to travel with this river? So they, they write a letter to themselves and while they were writing it, basically we went to another part of the of the space and we, we just decided to play some music. So that's where it started coming in from so basically just a bunch of emotions. So instead of actually writing a letter to ourselves, we decided we'll do a, this as an activity. Yeah. So it's, yeah, the imagery is basically like, again, like you said, forest all around, except as is not more of the river connection, but more to do with the hills. That was, that was where it was sort of coming from. And uh, what I like to do, actually, interestingly, is that I I don't like to disclose the... So before every composition that I play, I usually, in in front of an audience, I never tell them beforehand what the piece is about. So that when I play it, they actually can go into their imagination on their own. They don't have a uh, pre-sort of imagery that comes into their head that, okay, this is about a river, so I have to think about a river. or, Or if it's about a story about the hills, or if it's a story about forests or different things. So they actually have their own, uh, and it's interesting to hear from them and then understand how much of a connection that drew from what I was thinking about, um, yeah. once the piece is over. So I hear from them and then I actually disclose what, what my thought process was. So that, is, that's actually one of the most interesting things for me when I, when I do these performances to actually get a sense of, you know, where this music is taking the audience members. Uh, yeah. what is it that they were able to draw or write from this entire experience? Uh, so yeah, that's that's that's. No, so that that's makes sense,
0: really... and I think that's something that maybe we can do when uh, after you play mm-hmm. the next bits of music. But before that, just another quick question for you: having done this now over the course of a uh, few years, and uh, perhaps multiple times a year, I'm talking about now this journey from Yamunotri to Vrindavan, where yeah. essentially you go from the river and its origins yeah. Uh, yeah. down to where it comes to the plains, I guess, and it becomes. A river that suddenly yeah. sees oh, mass yeah. engagement with humanity on a large yeah. scale and, and things like that. So, so how, how have things sort of been over the past five, six years? Uh, is there more work happening in terms of conservation awareness? Uh, because a lot of the narrative that you hear about the river and pollution is uh, also governments and bodies that are in charge of looking after these things, putting the blame yeah. on uh, the poorest in society where... Essentially, uh, the river is polluted. Why? Because thousands of people live and and take a shit and wash their clothes exactly. on the banks exactly. of the river. Whereas we find that like data doesn't really indicate that, and there are other causes of pollution that are far more serious and and widespread. Yeah. So, so how how is some of the attitudes towards this, and how how is the river doing actually? I suppose that's the question.
2: River, see, largely, if you look at if you're looking at up in the hills the the concern is not so much with the flow or with uh, you know with the quality of water because that that's not much of an issue it's more to do with the the practice of tourism that exists if you look at even a uh, a place like yamnotri when you go on the trek uphill you'll see that even till today there's there's a huge amount of plastic that's actually uh, collected along the entire journey uphill um, largely because of tourism and because of the amount of troops that actually show up every year to, to go up there. So that's more to do with uh, pollution that's coming from us itself. But if we go downstream, if you look at Delhi, which is largely the river, 80% of the pollution of the river overall is coming from our city itself. So we're one of the biggest polluters. And yeah, like you said, majority of, of it is blamed on people who are actually living on the banks of this river uh, because they are apparently living there illegally, they don't have shelters built for them, and they, they're the ones who are openly defecating there, uh, or, or, or are supposedly the ones who are actually polluting this river. They're the ones who are blamed most of the time by, by government agencies. But what we fail to look at is also the fact that if you look at this river and you, the drains that we were talking about, there are almost 22 drains that directly lead out all this wastewater in our city uh, into the river directly. We're looking at almost around you know 1,500 million litres of wastewater directly going into the river almost every single day. And that is basically, so every time any of us take a flush uh, from our respective bathrooms, all that water is actually going straight into the river, uh, along with a, a lot of industrial waste. So one of the biggest factors is industrial effluents that are going in, industrial waste that is going in directly into the river. And because industries are shut for the last 30 days, 40 days, we've actually seen that. So the idea is, rightly as you put it earlier, to, to sort of let the river stay as it is. Because the government has made, you know, these plans of STPs and, uh, you know, the Yamuna Action Plan or Ganga Action Plan or Namami Ganga, all these different projects that exist, uh, which are looking into, I mean, you're looking at a huge amount of crores of rupees that are actually being spent on, on building an STP or on building uh, these plans to treat the rivers or to treat our respective water bodies. But when you actually look at the core problem, the problem does come directly from industries. Uh, that is a huge amount of, uh, you know, wastewater that is going in directly into the river is coming from industry. So the plan has to shift more towards that. Just let the river be rather than uh, looking at ways of treating the water or trying to figure out how to channel the water for different purposes. Um, the idea is not to exploit it. We've exploited it way too much for different things, agricultural purpose, irrigation, uh, you know, all your industries, but those are one of the biggest factors. So there has, in the last five years, there's been a huge focus on these sewage treatment plants and to build these and to build capacity to actually treat your water. But we're not understanding that um, the flow of the river is actually stopping. The flow of the water, the quality of the water has gone down. It's actually, for the last 10-15 well, years, it's been E-class, which means it's you know it's not even fit for animal bathing. That's how bad the, the water actually is. You can't drink that water despite the fact that 70% of it is actually coming into our homes, uh, is is actually being consumed by us. So there are a lot of problems, the problems are sort of increasing. But in terms of awareness, I do feel that, yeah, from from a, you know, if you look at it over the last decade, there has been improvement in terms of people actually wanting to understand more about the river, wanting to understand what are the reasons behind, you know, why is it being polluted? There's more talk about it, definitely whether it's in news channels or it's in media coverage uh, the river has definitely been given more importance but there's still a long long way to go.
1: So uh, so if you if you talk about music and uh, coming back to like arts and sort of uh, hmm. sustainability like do you think songs like Perambok what TM Krishna did and what uh, hmm. I and do you think these kind of songs and do you think arts can sort of uh, bring about a change in, in what you are trying to say because all the things that we all are saying and obviously you being a sort of practitioner of uh, you know uh, like you are working on the field with these issues yeah. and you are trying to build awareness in schools and in so many other spaces do you think arts mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. really boost that and take it to some other level in terms of uh, awareness generation in terms of even like uh, action
2: like what people yeah I mean definitely I think it, it is one of the as an even so we try to do that with our work in whatever way we can whether it's you know if it's we, we, we for the last 10 years we've been trying to do these uh, concerts every year on raising awareness about the river so we get different artists who actually write songs on sustainability or on environment to actually speak about speak about these issues. So I think as a medium, definitely it is one of the strongest mediums that we can use and it, it is being used. Uh, maybe not at the level that we can actually utilize it, but I, it's, it's good to see that it's it's picking up. There are more people who are looking into it. I uh, met with this person uh, last year, who's basically a singer songwriter from Kochi as well. And he writes songs, interestingly, very interestingly, you, can, you could probably get in touch with him. Uh, he writes songs, basically, most of his compositions are about alternative schooling and about sustainability uh, and very interesting stuff that he writes through so his music. He basically tries to convey different messages. Um, so it is it is def- definitely picking up, like you said, I think that it is the most important medium. It is something that can bring about change uh, and really, really speak to people on these different issues. But yeah, as in, there's, there's still a lot of time for us to actually, you know, figure this out in terms of actually seeing that change happen firsthand. Yeah, so I'll just, I'll just play. I won't tell you, of course, what these compositions are about. I mean, I don't know, Ban, you may be able to recognize one of them uh, if, if you hear them. But w- what I'll do is I'll just play something that's coming to me right now in itself that that I've been working on for the last few days. Uh, and you guys could just, if you want, you can pick up a notepad and pen or you can just draw, write or do whatever it is that you want. And then we can just discuss that afterwards. So I'll play for about 10, 5, 7 minutes Uh, And then we can have a discussion right after that, if that works.
0: Yeah, sounds good.
1: Yeah, what were you thinking, sir?
0: <laughs> what was I thinking? Lots of things, man. Actually, like, uh, I'm sort of uh, very lucky to be quarantined in a place that has a lot of green around. So you got like almost five, 600 uh, trees on uh, the premises. So, And because now there's, uh, in any case, we can hear very little traffic and, and human sounds that way. But now that most people are kind of, even on the road outside the, the main road that leads from here to Gurgaon, Faridabad, uh, there's no traffic really, no truck traffic. You can't hear people honking. Uh, you know, all the all the in the evenings there used to be a lot of uh, weddings and other public functions, so you would have those DJ sounds and all of that. Uh, even something simple like the the local mosque and hearing uh, the azan, uh, the call to prayer, even that has, yeah. that is not happening anymore. So. So, uh, in that sense, like, it's extremely quiet and and I can hear, like, breeze and birds and things like that. And so, there's, like, visual imagery for me that's right there. Uh, And it just kind of, there's a sense of harmony that I I got with, like, what you were doing. and, And despite being in a remote sort of location where you can't really hear what's happening or what I'm feeling at this end, uh the, the sort of uh, melody or the even the, the kind of rhythm that you're doing fits in with, uh, with, with this space for me. And the other thing that came to my mind was because like a, a thing that like we've been talking about over the past few days and also for me is a recurring theme, is uh, this, the connection between movement and rhythm. So whether you talk about the river, so, what I was seeing in my head was actually a bunch of kids playing a game of football uh, on the banks of like uh, a mm-hmm. river that's kind of undulating.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, because for, for me like between the sounds of, of, of uh, animals and birds around, the wind, uh, flowing water and uh, the kind of vibration created by these kids who are playing mm-hmm. this sport in that rhythm yeah,
1: uh, that's the, the picture. It was basically something very similar for me as well. Like uh, obviously this instrument in itself, it takes you to a, like an outdoor sort of uh, like tranquil kind of a location. Mm. So I was actually thinking some like, uh, I was thinking of some like a cello line to go with this. While you were playing, I was sort of these cello lines were playing in my head. What lines? Sorry, cello, cello, like a cello, oh, okay. like, uh. like a really long, like hmm. like a really long sort of a symphony was building in my head while you were playing this huh. this particular piece. So even for me, you know, like uh, I also associate like a big orchestra with 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 like um natures uh, like with open big sounds you know so basically the, these hand drums they really uh, surprise me because they are tiny but then yeah. the sound they create these big sounds you know yeah and you are just like wow how how is that happening like even yeah. a small little sound bowl like sometimes if it's handmade of a certain kind of a brass so yeah i mean
2: yeah, it's interesting how the how the material actually changes uh, the sound texture completely also. I mean, this is, so I only have one of them, unfortunately, with me out here. Uh, but otherwise, I carry four of them in total. There's the one which you've seen, which is the biggest one, which is there, which is yeah, the actual yeah. hand pan, which is there. Uh, and that has a completely different type of sound altogether in terms of its depth. Um, yeah, each of them has, like, this is the smallest one, but it's, it's got one of the sharpest sounds uh, in terms of yeah, not as sharp.
1: I would say even the the depth in the sound. It's not. It doesn't feel thin. Like if you want to, you can really hear like a full-on symphony going on. Uh, yeah. Via, like with this small little instrument. The
2: the original composition is is uh, I wrote it. It was the first composition that I wrote, uh, which actually because I'm originally from this place called Dalauzi in Himachal and uh, there's this place in the lausi called bakrota which is uh, it's, it's it was about i think about four, 2 3 kilometers from where i stay and we used to basically go for a lot of walks uh, in bakrota itself it's a beautiful spot to actually cover a distance of 2 3 kilometers just walking along the stretch and right next to bakrota there's this place called machluz which is a small tea stall uh, where there's this 80 year old woman who who ran the stall and we used to actually go there and have chai and namakpara. So when I first picked up this instrument and started playing it, uh, I was instantly transported to to that space. And actually, most of my growing up years in that space. So that's where the instrument actually gets its name from. And then I name each of my instruments because they're part of an extended family. So this instrument is actually called machlu. And uh, yeah, the composition is called Machlu ki baate namakpara ki yade, which is. Uh, where it was born out of, but I tried to do a different type of, uh, so I improvised on the piece this time. Uh, in fact, like in the middle, I basically increased the tempo a lot uh, and then suddenly phased it out right at the end. So that was something different, which I actually which I actually really liked. Uh, so I might actually incorporate that at some point. But yeah, other than that, I was trying to also, while playing um, simultaneously, I'd only kept one earphone in so the other ear was actually focusing on sounds of birds outside, which I could hear. So every time I wanted to focus on that, I started reducing the, the, the volume of my instrument and started focusing more on that sound. So it's, actually, it, it, it's a perfect time to actually practice and try and come up with different things because there's so many elements of sound that you can incorporate from outside right now. So yeah, it, it worked out quite well.
0: Ooh, man! I think we got like a decent amount of uh, stuff out of this conversation. I don't know how much of it will be of interest to anyone beyond the three of us who are in this conversation. <laughs> but but, uh, but if nothing else, I guess in, in these times, uh, that's something, and it's not, uh, it's, yeah. not a, it's not a little thing for us to be able to you know engage and at least figure yeah. out what what's going on in each one's minds. And and then part of the point of I think this podcast is to uh, just have some of these slightly random conversations mm. that link up uh, different things in your mind like the composer is uh, sitting and imagining an entire symphony uh mm. you you're imagining your years going up and for me like some of that undulating uh the yeah. up tempo down tempo reflects like how uh maybe uh, the tempo of a game you know yeah. uh, you have a start you have a Point where it reaches some kind of a crescendo, and then things either plateau out or they fade out altogether. Uh, so, yeah. so it's pretty cool to have some of these diverse kind of thoughts, and also to get your uh, your take on what's happening with young people today and the environment, and in the context of the city which all three of us live in, Delhi and the Yamuna. So, good one. Thanks so much for your time, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Cool. Chalo. Cheers, man. See you, cheers, take
1: care.